0: All right, so now we get to, in chapter six, one of the most difficult to understand passages, maybe in the entire Old Testament. If not, it's probably in the top three or something like that. It's really, really confusing, and it can be difficult to understand, and there have been misinterpretations about this passage. We're in chapter six, verses one and following. Let me just read this, and then we'll go to the notes, and we'll unpack it all, okay? So, Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says, When men began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took to wife such of them as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, but his day shall be a 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown, or the men of the name. Verse 5, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. And the Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And it goes on, and it goes into the story of the flood. So this passage, these five or six verses here, are very, very confusing. Like, what are they talking about? So this, this whole story, the sons of God and the daughters of men, is the hinge between the stories of Cain and Seth, and then the flood that comes right afterwards. So it's really, really important to understand this particular section, this brief, brief account, this narrative correctly, because there is a continuity here. There is a flow of the story between what happened with the two lines of Cain and Seth, which we just discussed, and then what we're gonna talk about next lesson, which is the flood, and how now the whole earth is corrupt, it was violent, Uh, men's thoughts were evil continuously from his youth, et cetera, et cetera. So let's answer this question, who, in the world are the sons of God and the daughters of men. Because one of the interpretations that goes back to antiquity, some men and educated you know, persons of the ancient world would say they are angels, Okay, some sort of spiritual beings that come down and see that the daughters of men were good looking, right? they're tov, they're fair, and they lust after them, and then they sleep with them, and then they have these children, the Nephilim, the mighty men, and that's kind of one of the interpretations that's out there that's circulated for a very long, long time. So, who are the sons of men? Now, are sons of God and the daughters of men. The sons of God, it is true in scripture can be can refer to angels. That is absolutely true. Son of God refers to sons of God can refer to angels. Here in your notes I have Job chapter 1 verse 6 as one example there, and that is undeniable. Angels can be called sons of God in other parts of scripture but they're not referred to as sons of God here in Genesis, and this is really important. So the expression, the son of God, simply, and this is where a little bit of systematic theology helps us, a little bit of good old-fashioned Thomism from St. Thomas Aquinas can get us get our get set straight here of what this title means. Son of God can, is, and I think simply refers to their state as adopted children of God, all right? Angels are also children of God because they participate, the good angels, I should say, the good angels participate in God's life, just like human beings do. So all the stuff that we've talked about before about how Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, one of the things that means is sonship. So humanity, by grace, all right, is given a participation in God's own life, thereby making humanity children of God. That was lost at the fall. We talked about all that stuff. The same thing applies to angels. Angels are sons of God. if they're in a state of grace, all right the, we can't get into angelology uh, but, After the angels fell, there is the temptation, third of the angels fall away, the good angels that stayed faithful, like Michael means who is like God, Saint Michael fights against Satan, they receive the beatific vision and they receive a participation in God's life. So in a real sense by grace for the angels, they are children of God, you could say it in a certain sense, they are sons of God, they participate in that triune life. That's simply what it's referring here, okay? It's referring to whenever you see angels talked about as sons of God, that's what it's talking about. But men also receive that title as well, even as we saw in Luke chapter 4, uh, Adam is called a son of God. So, how could this, in this particular passage, in Genesis chapter 6, why is it not referring to angels? There's a number of really solid points, considerations to, prove. I think, demonstrably prove and show that sons of God here in Genesis chapter 6 is not referring to angels. okay. If it were referring to angels, I'm just right here on your notes, letter two. If it did refer to angels, number one, angels are not mentioned before or after this story at all. Like they're total silence. No angels up to this point. No angels after this point. Really, in all of Genesis one through eleven, we do find angels in the per, in the patriarchal period, but not in the primeval history period of Genesis one through eleven. So they just do not show up before or after. That makes no sense for them to all of a sudden lust after human beings, after the women, and then and conceive these weird, you know, mighty men children from them, okay? That doesn't make any sense contextually in, in the scripture, okay? The other thing that doesn't make sense is that if these sons of God referred to angels, why is it that only humanity is punished? If the angels are the ones who sinfully lust after women, and then they disappear, right? They don't show up again. But why is all of humanity as well as the angels, that's punished and not angels. That doesn't make any sense. It would seem like the angels would have to be punished as well, and you don't find that anywhere here in the context, okay? So those are a couple of reasons why it can't be angels. Another very simple logical fact is that according to Scripture and tradition, teachings of the church, uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish theology and Christian, angels are pure spirits. They're purely spiritual beings. They do not have bodies. They're not material beings like we are. So to put it kind of delicately, they just don't have the equipment to procreate. They don't have the equipment to marry because marriage is the context here, taking to wife such as they chose. They just simply don't have bodies. They can't conceive a child in any way, shape or form. It is impossible. And even Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 25, talking about, you know, after the resurrection, about humanity, when they rise from the dead, they are, neither, are they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but they're like the angels in heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying that human beings, after the resurrection, they become angels. That's not true. Human beings are body-soul composites, as we discussed before. Even after death, our souls long for the reunification of our bodies. Human beings, to be a human being means to have a body and a soul. So even in the the resurrection, it's it's necessary that we receive our bodies back to be a human being. So Jesus is not saying like a hallmark theology, we're going to become like angels after the resurrection. We get our little proverbial cloud and harp and we just play, you know, hymns for for God all, all eternity. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about marriage. In heaven, there is no marriage between men and women. Okay, so angels do not marry. Neither will human beings after the resurrection, after the second coming in the new heavens and the new earth. So, Jesus says they don't don't marry. Logic, basic logic, basic theology says it's impossible for them to marry. It's impossible for them to procreate. So, I think for all these reasons, it's not referring to angels. There's a different context. And in context, what we've been talking about for the whole first part of this lesson is that in context, the sons of God must refer to the righteous, godly line of Seth and the daughters of men refer to the fallen away humans in the line, the ungodly line, the unrighteous line of Cain. These are the two lines that we've been discussing this entire lecture. In context, right after chapter 5 comes chapter 6, and we're talking about these two lines now that are beginning to be intermarried. Okay, so I think we've already proved multiple times going all the way back to Genesis 1. Adam was created to be a son of God. Uh, He lost that, of course, um, through his sin, but in his line, from Adam to Seth and all the way down, they call upon the name of the Lord. They are righteous. They are godly. So, they are the sons of God. The daughters of men are all those humans that have rejected God, who, like Lamech, we talked about, You know, he is the sixth generation after Cain. That's the epitome of evil and violence and immorality. So, they are the ones that um, are the, so yeah, the daughters of men are the ones that come from Cain. So, I also want to clarify one other thing here. It's also on your notes. This is a literary device. It's not just like that the men of the righteous line saw that the women of the unrighteous line were good-looking and they intermarried and took whomever they wanted. It's an expression. Really, you could say the children of God and the children of men, Okay, saw so, uh, in, basically intermarried. So, it's men and women of the righteous line uh, began to, to lust after. Uh, the of the unrighteous line, and then men and women of the unrighteous line were also intermarrying with the righteous line. If you're getting what I'm saying here, although I do, although I do think it's true that there are children of both lines. The other thing you could say is that when it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, really, like you can find context with this in like Ezra and Nehemiah. It's probably like the leaders, like these royal priestly leaders that are in the righteous line that are failing here, and they're the ones that's being emphasized here. They're the ones that are taking. Uh, women from the unrighteous line. So I think both of those things are true. Religious, uh, the, yeah, the religious and royal leaders of the, of the righteous line see that uh, fall, basically fall from grace and then intermarry with the unrighteous line. But that doesn't mean it's just men. That's my main point right here. It's men and women from both lines intermarry. Okay? right so this expression they saw that the daughters of men let's talk more about this they saw that the daughters of men were fair or tov and they took such as they chose this has two powerful echoes that we've seen in previous chapters number one it echoes eve eve in the garden saw same words here saw that the fruit was good okay tov and took it all right saw that it was good desired it and then took it, even though it was forbidden from her. So this is an echo of Eve in the fall of Eve and Adam in the garden. But this is also is an echo of Lamech. We talked about him earlier in this lesson. He took two wives. So he was the first man to uh, have been said to be a bigamist, polygamist, but technically a bigamist. He had two wives. He took these two wives for himself, thereby breaking the marital covenant between one man and one woman. And so in the same way now, his descendants, okay, uh, or rather, um, the the righteous line, or, like Lamech, are taking to wife such as they chose, and, and this is very, very much polygamy—not just bigamy—but they're taking whomever they want, probably in violent means as well. Thus, again, echoing the tension between man and woman because of because of sin. So that I think in context, it's very, very clear. The commentaries I recommend give a lot more support for this, but that's essentially what's going on. Not angels, but in context, it's the sons of God, the righteous line of Seth falling, okay? So so then at this point, God says, you know, my spirit will not abide in man forever. His days will be 120 years. I do not think that this refers to the lifespan of a human being because it's, even Moses much later on lives to be 120 years. So, what I think this is referring to, and there's a couple of different interpretive possibilities here, but it's referring to is basically a countdown, a countdown to the flood. So, 120 years from that point, the flood is going to come. We're going to talk all about the flood in the next lesson. The flood is going to come and wipe out sinful humanity, violent and corrupt humanity. So, 120 years of repentance. Is what's coming. Okay. So, and that actually makes a lot of sense based on what we talked about Enoch and him being a prophet to his generation, calling him to repent because the flood is coming. And Enoch knew that. All right. So don't forget that. And I think it was page two of your notes. Okay. So, They are the fallen ones. Now, Nephilim has this kind of mythical name to it. They're the Nephilim. The sons of God impregnate the daughters of women. They have the Nephilim, the mighty men. Nephilim literally just simply means the fallen ones. And that makes total sense. If the sons of God are sinfully lusting and maybe with violence lusting after women, they are the fallen ones. They have a turn from God and now they're acting like the descendants of Cain and intermarrying with the descendants of Cain. So Nephilim simply means the fallen ones and it refers to how humanity as a whole, but specifically the righteous line of Seth, are fallen from grace, so to speak. They become corrupt and violent and unrighteous. And the mighty men, literally it's the men of the name, all right? They've, think of like it's, they're notorious, they're infamous. They're so violent and they're so unrighteous and they're so immoral, they have this unholy reputation this notorious reputation of being and we'll talk more about nimrod one of my favorite names in scripture next lesson he's a mighty man right because he's violent okay that's what's happening here It's not like, so the confusion of this is because the Septuagint translate this at the mighty men as gigantes, which are giants. So it's almost as if it kind of perpetuates this misinterpretation that angels impregnate women and the babies of angels and women are pretty impressive. They're giants and there's these rock monsters or whatever else might be out there. But no, it just simply means the men of the name, the men of renown, they're notorious sinners and rebellious against God. That's what that expression simply means. Okay. So all of this results in widespread sin, fall from grace from the righteous line, uh, intermarrying and taking the wife such as they chose, sin abounds greatly. And that's what Catechism 401 is saying right here. After that first sin, the world is virtually inundated by sin. There is Cain's murder of his brother Abel and now the universal corruption, which follows in the wake of sin. So that's what's going to lead here to this next lesson, which is the flood. Everybody is sinful and like greatly so. Egregiously so, except for Noah, he's the one righteous man. So I hope that all makes sense here as we come to this conclusion of this lesson because this particular five or six verses is the hinge between the line of Seth and the line of Cain and then the uh, the story of the flood. It's because the two lines intermarry. And in fact, before I forget, that theme of the righteous not intermarrying with the unrighteous is a theme that goes all throughout Scripture. I mean, you go through a Salvation History Course, you can listen to my Salvation History Course or read some good books, whatever, you're going to see, read the Bible itself, you're going to see over and over and over again, Moses and Joshua, and then on one side, and then on the other side, Ezra and Nehemiah saying, do not intermarry, do not intermarry with the pagans, because you're going to begin to worship like them, you're going to commit idolatry, you're going to commit immorality, you're going to commit violence, etc, etc. The righteous line must protect themselves against the immorality of the unrighteous line. And that's what we're seeing here in Genesis 6. And that's what you're going to see going all the way through the Old Testament. right. so with that in mind, let's um, conclude here this lesson and we're going to say our prayers. Hi, I'm Dr. Nick. Thank you so much for watching this clip. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you want to access the entire lesson and the entire course, come visit us over at scriptureandtradition.com and join our community of students. You'll be able to access all of my courses in the audio library, plus you'll be able to access my live courses whenever I teach a new topic on Scripture or the Catholic faith. God bless you.